And uh, welcome to Zoom with Zarni. Today is Friday, uh, February 11th. And I'm happy to bring to you later in this program my interview with Christine Wood, a public citizen. Uh, she's a local activist and she's been on our program before. Uh, but her work with public citizen has her do uh, work on democracy projects throughout America. And we're going to talk about the uh, state of the American democracy, the failure of the Voting Rights Act in the Senate, and what are the next steps? What can we do locally and nationally to protect the right to vote? And uh, what what is uh, what is she working on over the next year? So um, ha I think it's a great conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it very much. Uh, I want to remind you that Friday, uh, or I'm sorry, Monday is Valentine's Day, of course, but it's also fall in love with your party day. Uh, on February 14th is your deadline to change your party registration uh, for this year's elections. So if you wanna vote in the primary that's coming up in June, we have a very hotly contested uh, congressional primary in the new New York 22. Uh, if you wanna be a Democrat or Republican and vote in those primaries, you need to switch your party uh, and you need to do it by February 14th, and that's not postmark, by the way, or drivers uh, or online with the DMV. Uh, it has to be in our office by February 14th, which is uh, slightly confusing. So don't do it online. Do it in our office, or if you do it online through the My DMV app, do it by February 13th. So it's delivered to us on the 14th, and we have that stuff in our office. Uh, don't do it by the mail. It's probably too late to do something by mail, but come on down to our office. We're going to be open uh, today, uh, Friday, uh, from 8.30 to 4.30, and we're going to be open tomorrow. Uh, I'm sorry, not tomorrow, <laughs> but Monday, 8.30 to 4.00 till 5.00 p.m. because it's a registration deadline. So come on down and change your party. Uh, and uh, if you want to be part of one of the major parties that's having primaries this year. Uh, of course, if you're a new registrant uh, and you haven't registered to vote at all, you have some time uh, to register. And if you register in a party, when you register, you'll be able to vote on the primary. That's 30 days before or 25 days before the election. Uh, and that happens on June 3rd. So uh, you have a little time there. If you have never registered in New York anywhere at all, then you can do that. Uh, and change your party in, or, or enroll in the party. But if you want to change your party, you got to do it by Monday. Uh, and uh, finally, redistricting is continuing to go on in New York. I, uh, uh, I've been focusing on that on this podcast for the last few months. Uh, but uh, what we did here that there is going to be a court date for the congressional redistricting race or con congressional redistricting uh, lawsuit. It's important to remember um, that there is no stay or temporary restraining order. So that means that the, uh, uh, the lawsuit is going forward, but boards of elections are continuing to do, their, do work on the new maps. Uh, in fact, on March 1st, we have to start uh, passing petitions. And it's not until March 5th until we have a court case or a court date on this. So we have a little time here and um, it, it'll be interesting that petitions will be going on while the court is deciding this issue. More than likely, if they strike down the congressional maps, um, then it'll be for 
2026, or I'm sorry, 2024, as opposed to 2022. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine that a court would strike down the maps that are ongoing, that petitions are ongoing right now. Uh, also remember that the state Senate and assembly maps have not been challenged in court, which means that um, since they have not been challenged in court, they're law. And until they are challenged, they are law. So while you could challenge uh, uh, them in subsequent years, uh, again, March 1st looms uh, large that we're going to start doing petitions this year. So it's unlikely that any challenge is going to be brought against that. So uh, uh, that's all the updates that I have for you. Uh, uh, please stick around for my interview with Christine Wood. She uh, works with Public Citizen on democracy projects here in New York State and across the nation. And we have a great conversation about the state of democracy, which is not so great in America, and what we can do to fight back. Take care. Bye-bye. And I'm very happy to have my good friend, Christine Wood. Uh, she works on Public Citizens Democracy Campaign and serves as the field manager at the Declaration for American Democracy Coalition. Christine, thanks so much for coming back on Zoom and Zarni. Yeah, of course. I'd love to be here. Thanks for having me. So it's been about a year uh, since you've been on. I think it was like April of last year uh, that you were on. And uh, obviously, uh, a lot has changed, but not as much has changed as we would have liked. Uh, and uh, but before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your work. What What is Public Citizen? What is the Declaration for American Democracy Coalition? And, and what do you do for them? Sure. Um, so Public Citizen is a national, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that has over 500,000 members across the country. And essentially, uh, you know, we view ourselves as the people's lobbyists. Uh, you know, we know that special interest groups have, you know, millions and billions of dollars to lobby in the halls of Congress. And we, you know, view ourselves as the people's lobbyist and help advance issues that the American people really care about by uh, organizing. So my specific role um, deals with grassroots organizing to bring opportunity for real change. Uh, Public Citizen as an organization works on all sorts of different issues from global trade to access to medicine. And I specifically work on our democracy campaigns that oh, seek to get big money out of politics to increase ethics reforms and of course uh, to increase access to the ballot and to ensure fair and secure elections and then the declaration for american democracy coalition is a coalition of uh, 200 plus organizations public citizen is one of them and i was lucky to serve as the field manager for that coalition specifically that coalition worked to pass the Freedom to Vote Act, formerly known as the For the People Act, which is a big legislative package of voting rights reforms, money and politics reforms, anti-jerrying, et cetera. Yeah, so let's talk about that because obviously that was big news. It's uh, the failure to pass it was big news um, and with far reaching consequences. Uh, ironically, uh, I think the New York Republicans uh, found out a little bit about the far-reaching uh, consequences of not passing that because of the anti-gerrymandering uh, provisions, and it may have prevented some of the map drawing that has happened over 
uh, the last few weeks here uh, in New York. But, you know, leaving that aside for a little bit, that's just my snarkiness to them. Uh, what, do, what do you, uh, you know, why did this fail? And, uh, and, and is there anything that we could have done differently to try to get it to pass? Sure. So, you know, this is a frustrating topic because we have waited for decades for this opportunity to pass sweeping democracy reform. It's something we've needed specifically since the 2013 Supreme Court ruling uh, in Shelby v. Holder that gutted the Voting Rights Act, which is another bill that we really, really need to pass. Um, and the reason it's so frustrating is because voting rights reforms is something that in the past has been able to be done somewhat on a bipartisan basis. Uh, you know, every American believes in, you know, the access to the ballot for US citizens. And when you look at the American people, it's something that the vast majority of people support across party lines. Unfortunately, when we look at our members of Congress and elected officials in state legislatures, we see a split between party. We're increasingly seeing a faction of the Republican Party actually work to suppress the vote, specifically across you know, communities of color, young voters, and um, you know, voters with disabilities, et cetera. And you know, this divide, you know, not only is causing all of these legislative attacks on the freedom to vote at the state level, but also uh, is blocking progress on voting rights at the federal level as well. And of course, I have to mention that money and politics ties into this too and, and fuels this effort as well. Uh, and is another barrier that the Freedom to Vote Act would have also addressed. So unfortunately, we see this split in Congress. This piece of legislation that would have ensured you know, early voting in states across the country that just was uniform in a standard way that would have prevented voter purges, um, that would have uh, prevented partisan gerrymandering was unfortunately, um, you know, not able to get enough votes um, in the Senate for passage. Uh, we unfortunately are in, a, in this, you know, operating under this archaic rule in the Senate that really uh, fell from the Jim Crow era, the filibuster, uh, which requires a majority threshold uh, for bills to be passed outside of the reconciliation process. And Unfortunately, we didn't have the votes to overcome the filibuster, despite the fact that it actually was never, you know, part of the U.S. Constitution and always traditionally has been used to stand against voting rights and civil rights legislation. So, you know, I was privileged to be a part of this grassroots effort over the past couple of years. I have seen people across the country, you know, taking action on this for you know, relentlessly, month after month after month for the past few years, even in central New York, folks affiliated with Indivisible know that you may have driven past Whit Wegmans, they were outside almost every week campaigning for the Freedom to Vote Act to be passed. You know, it's our democracy that was at stake. And unfortunately, two Democratic senators chose to, uh, you know, side with, to protect an archaic rule in the Senate instead of voters in their own communities at the detriment of communities of color in their states that are being, especially in Arizona, where we see um, an increasingly radicalized legislature that continues to pass you know, legislation that is stripping the rights to vote away from communities of color. So it's unfortunate it didn't pass. 
people across the country, across, across party lines support it, but clearly a faction of the Republican Party and in terms of elected officials um, see it as a threat and, and do not want uh, the majority of Americans to vote. Um, and unfortunately, two Senate Democrats, despite the fact that they supported the legislation, Senator Manchin actually authored the legislation, um, you know, they chose to protect the filibuster. Why I, I will not, I still do not understand, but encourage voters in Arizona and West Virginia to ask them <laughs> and to continue to be vocal on it. So you touched on something there that I think has been underreported. Um, that Senator Manchin uh, and the Senate Democrats entered into this long negotiation over the For the People Act and then turned it into the John R. Lewis voting rights. I, I can't remember. It was like a like a, a combined name and it really pared down the For the People Act. And the thought was, oh, we're paring it down because then we'll get Senator Manchin's um, approval. Uh, for it, but it was only approval for passage, and he still hung on to this ten uh, vote, uh, you know, uh, threshold that he had to get from Republicans, and there was no indication he was ever going to get one. There was never any indication that that was going to happen. Did Democrats make a mistake in paring down the legislation if it was going to fail anyways? Shouldn't we have had a vote on the full? breadth of the legislation instead of paring it down just to have a failed vote? Well, what I mean, there were certain, the aspect I think about most when I think about the change between the For the People Act and the Freedom to Vote Act is the public financing system. And that definitely was hard to um, to deal with the fact that it ended up, I think there ended, it ended up being pared down and a specific cutout for the Senate. But in that time, um, there was actually some things that were added to the bill that was helpful. So Senator Manchin specifically added some election subversion and protections in there um, that would give um, some guidance and some legal binding um, to prevent election sabotage efforts. And, you know, before the new version of the Freedom to Vote for the People Act, that's a critique I kept hearing time and time again, that the For the People Act wouldn't address election sabotage. And they did add some um, good legislation or some good piece of policy into that legislation that helped with that issue. So I did want to point out that I did like that part of the of adding to the Freedom to Vote Act. Um, but I would say, you know, we were operating in good faith with Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema. They stand by um, their support for the legislation. And at, at that time, Senator Manchin wouldn't even sign on as a co-sponsor to the For the People Act. Everyone was, Senator Cinema did, but everyone else wouldn't, and everyone else did, but Senator Manchin would not. When we did change the legislation, he was the lead sponsor, um, along with um, Senators Klobuchar and, and Merkley. So I think we, you know, that was the right move. And, you know, we had to give it everything we, we had. This was you know, an urgent priority. And I will, you know, raise that, you know, I will credit, um, you know, Speaker Pelosi and Senator Schumer for their leadership on the issue. You know, we were, and by we, I mean, you know, myself, advocates, but mostly people across the country, voters across the country were urging uh, leadership in the Democratic Party to prioritize this issue. In the past, it 
you know, has been kind of more of a, of a fringe issue, especially money in politics. Um, but because of the organizing that we've done year after year after year, we've seen voting rights and money in politics issues rise to be a top issue. So this, you know, this was never just a fight of, of you know, a few months or a year. This has been a, a movement of years that have brought us to this point. So I think um, it's, it's hard to tell, you know, you know, to make the calculus, what would have happened if we did things differently, but that at least pushed us a step forward to passing the legislation. Um, and of course, you know, we did, you know, put a lot of effort into negotiations with Manchin along with, you know, the Senate Democratic Caucus, Senator um, Kane, I know put a ton of time in there as well as Senator Tester and we're operating in good faith. So I think that we did make the right move there and just need to continue advocating for a big, bold package moving forward. And, and I guess then that's a similar question about the vote to try to end the filibuster, which I actually, you know, I was a little, I get what you're saying about the um, the election subversion uh, additions to it, because when For the People Act was divined, it was in 2019, it was before the 2020 election, nobody really imagined the scale and scope of what uh, Donald Trump uh, would do after losing the election in 2020. And um, I think, uh, and I think it was very surprising that he was getting state legislators and state actors to go along with him on a lot of this stuff. Although there were some heroic state legislators and state uh, actors who, who of his own party that also resisted him. And I will give them that credit. Uh, but, and so adding that into, into there, um, I, I didn't like some of the weakening of some of the other things. But that being said, one of the things that I did like that we pushed was the ending of the filibuster. This is something that I've railed against for years. Um, and uh, I don't buy the whole, well, you know, we got to keep it for in place when we're in the minority. Because when we were in the minority, they had no problem changing the filibuster. The, the Republicans changed the filibuster to put through their Supreme Courts, which they ran through three justices under Trump, uh, under the filibuster threshold because they got rid of it. And they uh, have no problem cutting taxes and putting things in uh um in in the in the uh, uh the, the the what's the the budget tool that they use uh, the reconciliation, reconciliation. And, and and that's what republicans want they want lower taxes they want cuts in spending they want you know targeted military spending that's all stuff that they can do in reconciliation they don't really care about social programs that are reserved for the filibuster uh and thus uh, they don't care about having to reduce the filibuster all that much because they can get it through reconciliation. But I do think that the public discourse moved the ball on the filibuster. I mean, we've never seen a sitting president say get rid of the filibuster, let alone one that sat in the Senate for decades. And 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 uh, so, what are your thoughts about that? If we're able to expand the Senate and hold on to the House. Um, are we looking at it? You know, we had 48 votes to get rid of the filibuster for Voting Rights Act, for voting legislation. Are we looking at the canary in the coal mine on the filibuster? Is it eventually going to go away? 
I mean, that, that's a tough that's a tough question just because I am always reticent to make predictions, but I will say that it's amazing how much the discourse has changed over the past few years. Um, you know, I remember just a few years ago, I think it was Senator Warren and maybe a few other, I would say maybe four or five other senators that were vocal on that issue. And now, as you mentioned, 48 senators were willing to make that change. I think one thing that kind of helped push that dialogue forward is many, you know, senators, folks that have a platform as well as advocates have just been real about the purpose of the filibuster in the past and its design. The fact that, you know, it was not originally in the constitution. And when we did see, you know, the emergence and the, and the increased reliance on the filibuster, when you look back at history, a lot of uh, those examples of using it were to block civil rights and voting rights legislation. And now the filibuster has morphed into this almost unrecognizable tool for obstruction that uh, really Senator McConnell um, has created. Um, and just the Senate's not working right now. And I think that senators are frustrated um, you know, even, you know, Senator Manchin has, you know, talked about these frustrations publicly that things cannot get done. And, you know, you know, some folks may, you know, speak to polarization, uh, but really there's some deep systemic issues, uh, you know, even things like, you know, raising the debt ceiling. Uh, we almost had massive consequences, thankfully. Um, Senator Manchin and Cinema decided that they would make an exception to the filibuster for that. Um, it would have been nice if they also valued our democracy to that same extent and made an exception to the filibuster there as well. And also I will, you know, raise the filibuster has been changed many, many times. It's been changed over a hundred times in the past 30 years. Um, so this is not actually new, um, especially just a small modification, not even, you know, for voting rights, especially not even talking about, um, you know, abolishing it as a whole. Um, but, you know, it does, I will say there was a lot of momentum around it. And I don't see the momentum around an exception for voting rights going away. Like I said, we engaged, you know, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people across the country. And even, you know, just a few weeks back, I was on a, a movement call with the activists that have been leading this movement in their communities. And many of the things I saw in the comments was, what's next? How can we keep up the drumbeat? How can we keep this dialogue going? How can we keep this issue in the public eye? So I don't think that the appetite for uh, a solution to the filibuster, particular on voting rights, is going away anytime soon. Um, and I, you know, we continue to see you know, a divided Senate. I'm not seeing, uh, it's difficult to imagine a pathway for 60 votes. Uh, on voting rights legislation unless uh, the Republican Party has a change of heart with with their relationship to democracy and voting rights issues. Yeah, the one thing that I, I wish would have happened that didn't happen and maybe it was too too big of a spotlight for it to happen is that, you know, if we weren't going to get rid of the filibuster or do a special carve out for voting rights, change the the, the filibuster in a fundamental way in, in, to keep the filibuster, but really make it so it's only being used in, you know, exceptional cases, you know, have the, the standing talking filibuster or, 
Uh, I think Al Franken on his podcast, and I still listen to Al Franken. Uh, I think it was right for him to be not in Senate, but I still think he has some good views. And uh, uh, Al Franken on his podcast has uh, promoted the, um, uh, you know, 40 people present, uh, you know, filibuster that you can no longer, can you just put in a filibuster and walk away and go on vacation or whatever, you know, you can't, you, you have to have 40 people there to physically block it in the chambers, maybe not a standing talking filibuster. I mean, some of these senators are septuagenarians and uh, may, may not be able to do that, but a president in the chamber. So then it would not be used on every single piece of legislation. I mean, that's what, what I don't think people realize is that it's just used on everything, not just Voting Rights Act, it's everything. And, uh, and, and so, you know, which will, I have a sneaky feeling it'll be used on the Electoral Count Act when it comes up. And we'll talk about that next. But uh, I hope that, you know, if, if the filibuster isn't gone, I would love to see it changed, <laughs> you know, at least. And, and maybe when the spotlight is, is turned down over the next year, we can get that done. But we'll see. But let's talk about the Electoral Count Act, because that seems to be what everybody is focusing on now. There's a bipartisan partisan group uh, of nine Republican senators, one short of the filibuster, amazingly, uh, that are working with the Democrats to come up with a, uh, a, fix, to, a fix to the Electoral Count Act. And um, well, you know, Christine, can you kind of walk us through what they're trying to do with the Electoral Count? Why is this important? And why is it not as important? <laughs> I guess it's the question. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. So the Electoral Count Act really gained uh, attention from folks um, during the Trump years, you know, during that period where all of a sudden our basic democratic norms were being violated and we were, you know, as a society, realizing that there were some serious gaps in our constitution um, that could be exploited if a bad actor was in power. And one of those uh, things was the Electoral Count Act, which really, um, folks were focusing on, you know, as Trump was claiming falsely that the election was stolen. And then of course on January 6th. Um, so what was revealed is that uh, in the constitution where it describes the process of certifying the election uh, with the elector process, um, there was some serious ambiguity uh, in that language and in, in laying out that process. Um, there's, you know, a few different things I could point to, you know, most prominently was the was clarifying the role of the vice president. And that really came up when President or former President Trump was publicly and privately pressuring Vice President Pence uh, to not certify the election and uh, was claiming that there was a legal standing for him to do so. You know, thankfully, in that situation, Vice President, former President, Vice President Pence, to his credit, did the right thing. Um, but, you know, it was something that seriously alarmed people across the country. And it is in need of reform. We do need to shore up 
uh, the process of certifying our elections. We need to certify, um, you know, under which circumstances states may appoint electors after election day. We need um, to, you know, ensure the role of the vice president. And the, you know, it should be a, a fairly limited role um, where it's more, you know, just a, a procedure um, rather than actually giving them the ability to accept or not accept the election results. So. Yes, that's important, that needs to be done. But one thing that I think is important to point out, as you said, is I have seen some headlines that, you know, say, you know, bipartisan group working on um, election reform, as if it's this groundbreaking thing. This is the floor. <laughs> like this is at the very least, we need to do that. Um, and I don't think that characterizing it as this massive voting rights or election reform is anywhere near adequate. You know, and I know even, you know, Senator Manchin and his comments um, after the freedom, you know, the vote of the Freedom to Vote Act, you know, kind of alluded, let's work on this. This is where we can have common ground. Um, but that does nothing to protect our vote uh, or address the other issues that I talked about. I mean, where I would love to see a bipartisan group work on is, you know, the Electoral Count Act Plus, which the Leadership Conference of Civil and Human Rights is calling for, which would not only include, you know, this reform and clarification to the Electoral Count Act, but also would, you know, include the election sabotage policies that were written in the Freedom to Vote Act and um, would include the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act which used to be bipartisan, you know, every single, uh, I think it was the Voting Rights Act was passed, you know, after, um, you know, decades of civil rights advocacy uh, and, you know, a lot of struggle and even violence to get that passed. And it was reauthorized four times on a nonpartisan basis across party lines. It was passed originally uh, in a bipartisan way. And a lot of the, some of the senators now um, actually voted for the reauthorization. I believe Senator Collins is one of those people who she believed in the Voting Rights Act, um, you know, a decade ago, but doesn't believe in it today. So, I just think it is important to clarify, yes, it is great that there is a bipartisan group of senators working on the Electoral Count Act, but again, and, and they should pass it, it is needed. But let's not stop there. Let's not pretend that it's this groundbreaking thing. That's great that they're doing it, but they should also pass legislation that has to do with election sabotage in a bipartisan way. And if Republicans are serious about support for voting rights, as you know, Senator Collins claimed she was a supporter of, um, then they should get serious about passing legislation like the Voting Rights Act that all that says is you can't be discriminated against the polls based on the color of your skin and offer some enforcement mechanisms. So, you know, good to pass it, but, you know, I'm not impressed. Yeah, I, I, I do find it funny that some of the rhetoric that I'm hearing from some of the Republican senators to try to coax some of these reticent public Republican senators is we don't want Kamala Harris overturning the election. So we got to fix yeah. this, which actually underscores the point. This really isn't going to protect 2024. 2024 is protected because we have the vice presidency. This might protect 2028 if Trump is reelected or whoever the Republicans put in there. And, you know, again, the the stuff that's happening in the states and legislators across the nation where we're seeing bills put in that they can subvert the will of the public by um, by overriding them with an act of the legislature for on, on uh, 
just claims of voter fraud and that, you know, we've seen these fake electors with their fake documents, you know, essentially commit fraud by submitting fake documentation of, I, I'm not sure that even the electoral, you know, count act will do too much to, to stop that. And uh, it's, uh, and I, I also believe in my heart that, Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz, one of those two, or Rand Paul, one of the knuckleheads in the Senate are going to filibuster this. And that might kill the filibuster. Like if, if they filibuster the Electoral Count Act and they're not able to get the, the votes for that, maybe then Manchin and Cinema wake up a little bit. But, uh, you know, I can't imagine them waking up because they haven't woke up already. But uh, yeah. So we've talked a lot about the failures. And, uh, and what we, we weren't able to accomplish. So, but I'm a pragmatist, <laughs> you know, I, 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 but I'm also a reformer. What can we do now, Christine? What, can, what, is, what is Public Citizen or uh, the Democracy Coalition, what are you turning your efforts to in the here and now? I mean, we may get a different Senate after 2022, but what are we doing right now? What can we do right now? Sure. I mean, there's lots of things that folks can do depending on the communities they live in and especially the state that they live in. I mean, I would give totally different recommendations to someone living in Arizona than someone living in New York State. Um, but, you know, a few things that I would mention. First off is don't give up hope on passing federal democracy legislation. I will be real that it's difficult right now, but it is important to continue the dialogue. I think it's really important to thank people like Senator Schumer, who actually really went to bat for this and had tremendous leadership on the issue, and to hold accountable people like Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin that, um, that wouldn't support it. So that accountability is important, and we still need to work towards federal standards for our elections and that big goal. But, um, you know, in the meantime, for states like Arizona or like Georgia, um, it's really, really important that folks on the ground are pushing back on these anti-voter bills they're seeing at the state level. I mean, there are some bills that are moving out of committee in Arizona um, that are combining just around every tactic in the book that end early voting, that limit state registration, and that really cut down access to the ballot. So, you know, those states thankfully have activists on the ground that are doing that type of work. So, you know, totally support all of that great organizing that's happening. And then there's, you know, states like New York State, uh, New York State, where we're lucky where we have folks in office that actually uh, care about our election. So, you know, there's things that we can do here in New York State, like passing the New York Voting Rights Act, um, and also restoring voting rights to folks that, you know, are currently incarcerated. So there's a lot of states where there's actually ability to pass good democracy legislation or good money in politics legislation. But then, you know, another thing I want to raise is engaging in the election right now. Um, you know, we need to make sure that we have the votes next time, that there's an opportunity to uh, vote on federal democracy reform. If, you know, just two other senators were elected into office that cared about these issues, for example, if, you know, Senator, or if, you know, Cal Cunningham had won North Carolina or Sarah Gideon had won Maine, we could have passed this legislation. Um, so, you know, it's really important that we are 
protecting voters on the ground and their right to vote through, you know, election protection efforts. So I look at, you know, all the great organizing that organizations like Fair Fight are doing in Georgia, uh, where they're, you know, educating communities uh, on the ground in the state on the different barriers to voting. Uh, you know, thankfully, in New York State, we don't really have that many barriers, but in a bunch of states there are, you know, I remember during the pandemic in Alabama, you actually had to print out a copy of your license to vote absentee, which is, you know, ridiculous. I don't even own a printer. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of folks are in the same boat and it's a pandemic. How are you supposed to go to the library? So, you know, there's a lot of things that, that we can do to just educate voters, to engage voters, um, and then also to, um, to just kind of be involved in the you know, electoral process in your community, sign up to be a poll worker um, or sign up to be a volunteer that's for an organization that's doing election protection efforts or voter turnout and engagement efforts. You know, obviously we're highlighting some of the flaws in our electoral system, but you know, we still have an electoral system that can be trusted right now. So I, you know, we'd encourage everyone to, to vote so that we can elect folks that you know, are actually going to support this legislation and um, deal with some of these systemic issues like money and politics and uh, voter suppression. Yeah, I'm going to throw in one thing, though, too, because it is budget season. So uh, if you're uh, if you're in New York, you could help uh, with New York elections by uh, talking to your state and uh, senators and assembly me members about helping fund county boards of elections. And then, of course, as the budget season for your counties come up, remember that all, uh, all uh, you know, politics is local and all elections are run by your counties. Keep an eye on that because that's a, a sneaky way that many people try to subvert elections is by underfunding them. And that's something that uh, uh, I've highlighted. I just testified this week. And, uh, you know, I, 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 that's something that people in New York can do too, because, you know, we, we, we do have a lot of protections, but not as many as people would think. I mean, you know, it's kind of new that we have early voting and, you know, we failed at no fault absentees, but we have pandemic excuse, at least going through 2022. Um, so uh, we, but, you know, we're, uh, we do have some things that we can do better. Uh Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and there's an ability to advocate for funding on the national level as well. Yes. Um, I believe the, the budget um, for this year, I believe, is pretty set. But, um, you know, we all, you know, the Senate is already discussing work on the next budget. So, you know, we're lucky in New York. We have the Senate Majority Leader as our senator. So, you know, advocating for elections at the federal level to then go to the states and then advocating at the state level um, on the best way to use it is something that all of us can do. And yeah, we just agree 100% with that, Dustin. Um, you know, it can fund more polling places and other things that, that, that increase accessibility. More staff. That's, that's, our, that's what we need the most right now is staff to be able to do all the, the reforms that are coming our way. And, uh, you know, but... I'll leave that for another time. <laughs> that's a, but that's a, uh, so Christine, you know, we're kind of reaching that uh, half hour mark, I think is a, a good mark for these interviews. Uh, but I always like to end with what haven't we talked about? What is an issue or uh, something that we, you wanted to get out, off your chest and tell the people about uh, or anything you want us to know uh, 
that uh, we haven't talked about today? Sure. Um, I think the main thing that I just want to get across is that folks who have been working on voting rights issues should be proud of what we've accomplished. Like I said, Syracuse in particular and you know the surrounding areas um, had so many dedicated folks that really cared deeply on this issue. And after working on it for years and watching um, it fail on a party line basis, plus <laughs> what Senators Mansion and Cinema was really devastating um, to a lot of folks locally and across the country. So. To me, it's really important to just highlight the, the huge progress that we've made in just you know five years. I mean, if you had said just five years ago that um, we could have almost every Senate Democrat on a bill that included a public financing system, folks, I think would laugh. Uh, it really is amazing how far we came. And you know, as you spoke earlier um, on the filibuster as well, and it's a result of everyone making their voices heard on this issue. I mean, we had, um, I think rallies almost every single month. Um, and, you know, it was a really powerful moment. Uh, you know, on January 6th, we had a local event here that I was at, and we had events across the country. And it was a really kind of raw, emotional moment. I mean, having a functional democracy is a requirement for, for you know, making every other change that we care about. Um, but I think that, you know, I do want to just lift up all of the folks, you know, in our community, but also, you know, across the country that worked on this, that were out there outside of their Senate office advocating for it. Um, I think that folks did an amazing job building the momentum and the profile of the issue and increasing the urgency. And it's, you know, unfortunate that two senators stood in our way of getting it passed. But, um, you know, it's, it's a long term fight, you know, as Martin Luther King would say. Uh, I think it's the arc of justice <laughs> it is it bends, it's long, but it bends towards justice. You know, the civil rights movement wasn't done in a day. So, you know, it's unfortunate in it passed this time, but we're in a good boat to keep advocating for it to, for the eventual passage. Well, Christine, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Thank you for uh, your advocacy and the time you spend uh, both in your profession, but I know you do tons and tons of volunteer hours uh, to help not just candidates, but causes and things that people wouldn't think about. You were uh, a, a great ally in the redistricting fights over the last few years, and uh, I, I'm honored to call you a friend, and thank you so much uh, for uh, coming on Zoom with Zarni. Thanks for having me, Dustin. I love to be here and chat with you. All right. Well, uh, next week, I'm going to have Chris Ryan on, uh, the new floor leader uh, for the Onondaga County Legislature Democrats. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on there with the, the change in leadership and now this ruling coalition that has uh, um, had, a, I think, only one meeting so far. <laughs> and But we're going to check in with Chris about that and also uh, the county redistricting. And uh, they announced that they're doing a lawsuit and we'll talk about that and how uh, maybe you can help uh, out with that. Uh, but, and remember, you know, I, I've always closed these uh, podcasts for the last few years since I started them during the pandemic, talking about masking, talking about vaccination. That's still important. Vaccination is the most important. Uh, getting vaccine, getting your vaccine, getting boosted has proven to be incredibly important. Um, uh, effective against all of the strains, but even Omicron, which has become the dominant strain, 
uh, and in preventing some of the worst outcomes of COVID-19. And as we record this today, it's the first day of no masking. Uh, the mask mandate has been uh, uh, dropped in New York. And um, I, I admit I have mixed feelings about that. Um, but, you know, having seen the data, having seen the cases decline, having seen uh, the effectiveness of the booster and vaccine, uh, I personally have have uh, decided that, you know, my, my KN95 mask is in my pocket. It's ready to go on. Any, any business that I go in that requires it, it'll be on. But my office didn't have it on for the first time today. So th it, it's a little weird. But the thing I'll ask you is this. If you feel like you need it, wear your KN95 mask, upgrade to the new masks, and also uh, you know, respect businesses and people who want to wear those masks because we are still in a high uh, transmission state. And uh, it, it, while things are going down, they're not as low as it was even last summer when we dropped the masking mandate. So um, please uh, take care of yourself, uh, get boosted, get vaccinated. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you feel sick, get tested. Uh, and that's the way we can get out of this and hopefully have a little bit more of a normal summer uh, this summer. So thank you again and enjoy uh, the rest of your day. Bye-bye.